0: And welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction Podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Paul Edis. So, time for some pianistic purviews. Hello, 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 and welcome to a whole new series of the Watford Jazz Junction Podcast. As always, if you like what you hear, do let a friend know and make sure you subscribe, or, heavens forbid, you might miss one of our valuable episodes. You can also visit our lovely website at WatfordJazzJunction.com whenever you like, and to book tickets to see our gigs here in lovely Watford, uh, including the Tony Kofi Quintet, who will be painting their portrait of Cannibal Adley on the 12th of February. And of course, later this month, there are still, I think, some tickets for our show on Saturday the 30th of October with the Crissingham Quartet and their highly acclaimed Jazz of Dudley Moore show. Bedazzling! Now, to business. Today... I am joined by one of the leading lights of contemporary jazz, so say London Jazz News, a consummate pianist who is as comfortable with the classical repertoire as he is with jazz, a genre-spanning composer and arranger whose new jazz release, The Still Point of the Turning World, stilled my ears with an utter calm of reflection and engagement. It can only be the very gifted Paul Edis. Paul, hello, how are you?
1: Hello, I'm, I'm good, uh, pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, that's an absolute delight. Uh, where, where are you speaking to us from?
1: I'm speaking to you from my uh, very modest studio in my very modest flat in uh, Colliers Wood in South London. Oh, I know where you are. I know
0: where you are. So how did you end up there? What, what, what's been the story from from tiny pianist to today? Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in the northeast of England. I, grew up, um, I was actually born in um, Durham and grew up in Chesley Street, which people tend to n- never heard of unless you reference the cricket. Normally people have heard of Chester Lough Street, as they say uh, yeah. on the news. Um, so Chester Street. And then, um, yeah, I went to school in Durham, lived in Durham, lived in um, Newcastle and Tymouth so a lot of time in the northeast. And I I studied studied down here in London at the London College of Music in Ealing. So I sort of had three years down here when I was 18 before then moving back, right. back up to my, my home turf whilst I was doing a masters and PhD and, and teaching and setting up gigs and doing all sorts of different things.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa,
1: Dr. Paul Edis.
0: Oh, I, I don't think we've ever had such lofty <laughs> academic heights on here. What's your PhD in?
1: My, my PhD and and my masters and my degree really has always been composition, um, which which normally confuses ah, right, people right, right. because I've sort of ended up in this thing of being a jazz pianist um but really my 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 formal training was all around composition and and actually composition for the concert hall if you like as well so notated music Um, so the jazz was almost like a a side hustle (laughs) that started to become more serious at some point I suppose.
0: Yeah so you work across classical and jazz right Uh, composing for both genres and in multiple instrumental uh, settings there seems to me a perfection in your playing style if we can talk about your playing first is that something you aim for because to me and you can say no that's not at all what it is but for me there's something complete or even total about when you sit at the keyboard, it seems an exact decision that you've made.
1: Is is that sort of
0: right, or what, what, what's your feeling when you when you sit down to play?
1: I'd say, I mean, in terms of the the classical thing, I'd say just as as a pianist, I've I've done very little classical piano for quite a while now, just because that's kind of how it's mm. gone. I mean, I, I still love playing bits and bobs of the classical repertoire but if someone decided to book me for a classical gig in in two weeks time, i'd have to do a hell of a lot of practice of that repertoire <laughs> having not, not played much of it for a long time in in my playing you know the way i improvise the way i compose i, I suppose there is an element of classicist in in what i do um in terms of i want to i want to say the the most with the least i want to deliver lines that make sense that are really clear um, really melodic as well mm. like i'm I'm definitely a melodist which is something i've sort of realized in the last few years i i, I love melody and, 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 and harmony's great but you can say so much with melody as well but i don't i don't necessarily yeah. i don't necessarily intentionally plan or aim for perfection i suppose but what i do find um is that when when i practice i think things just start to hone naturally this process happens over time you know lines get more and more precise and and I think the aim a lot for me and, and I've spoken to a lot of older musicians more experienced than me is this idea of gradually playing less and less but hopefully like I say saying more mm. and more with, without any clutter without any unnecessary stuff. Yeah the sort of Miles Davis
0: approach right it's what you don't play but I, I I still get this sense of satisfaction when I hear you play that it's like it's been considered and therefore what I'm getting it, it, it's not leaving any sort of mess around around the edges and things which is very very pleasing to listen to well that's good to hear (laughs) well it's true um certainly for my ears if we talk about composition as well as well as playing do you find there's much of a difference in your mindset for when you're approaching setting or arranging or delivering a classical piece as opposed to once you've written um a, a jazz a jazz piece for your approach do you do you separate sides of your mind or are they all very similar in your your delivery of what then comes out.
1: I certainly used to, you know, I, like I say, when I was studying for the, the academic stuff that I did, the advice I had from my supervisor at the time, which I think was, was very sensible actually, was to try and just almost consider them two different worlds, to, if only to get confident huh. in these two different worlds. But then in in recent years, because that's quite a while ago now, <laughs> it's about 10 years since I did any any of that sort of academic yeah. stuff, think, things have started to kind of, everything starts to, cross pollinate or i don't know how to explain it you do, so i've i've ended up including improvisation sections alongside very notated things and i mean that's the main thing if if an ensemble who don't do any improvisation and aren't improvisers approach me i could write something for them that's completely notated and i would intend it mm. to be done in a particular way in which case that's the classical model if you see what i mean but if i'm working with as of a, course. as i do with with bands and and ensembles i've put together it's likely I've I'm working alongside jazz and perhaps folk musicians who improvise a bit in which case I will want to give them a chance to improvise and and to use their voices their sounds in that kind of Ellington model yeah I I think I'll come back to that then in a little while once I've percolated a bit on on what you've said
0: so let's get down to the moment I guess um so I've listened to several of your tracks from past albums what do you think we get from your latest album the still point of the turning world what what's been your journey
1: I basically i feel as on top of my playing as a solo pianist as i have at any point so mm-hmm. I, i've recorded solo piano albums in the past but obviously having spent however many months during lockdown with no one else to play with, but, you know, just doing solo piano stuff basically and doing these weekly live stream gigs that I did during lockdown. That that was partly, in a sense, the motivation for recording a solo album. It's this feeling of, am I ever going to be as on top of my solo piano playing having had so much yeah. chance to do it really? But, but also I do think... With this recording, where as opposed to the other recordings in the past, I I had no sense of feeling like I ought to put anything on the album or I should do this. I just kind of ended up putting together this album of music that I wanted, you know, that that reflected what seems to have been going on and, and the experience of the last 18 months without any sense of feeling, like I say, that, that maybe I should include something that shows off this thing or demonstrates this because when you're younger there's that feeling that there is a bit of that sense of oh I, I need to show I can do these things or something something along those lines but this, yeah. this is more of an album of I want to do this and hopefully people will like it. Yeah, a sort of
0: nothing to prove approach which allows you to be really comfortable and relaxed with what you're doing but also believing and trusting in your own abilities. It's quite interesting, I was chatting with Adrian Cox, uh, oh gosh, Siri ago but he was saying during lockdown musicians in his experience went one of two ways they either sort of stopped and just went oh whatever we'll pick up again or uh, in the case of others they really were able to spend that time that they haven't had because they've been on the road so to speak to really focus on their their craft and it's really interesting to hear you saying that you were able to sort of not up your game necessarily but complete your your practice and and then actually be able to deliver it with confidence what you were doing and then obviously test it out on a weekly basis with the live streams Um, talking about the live streams are they are they still available can people watch them can
1: they download them? i think they're all still on there yeah, yeah. Uh, they're all still yeah if, if they want there's there's a fairly random collection of things in there because doing literally an hour gig every week you do end up trolling all sorts of real books and and, and i got various suggestions people sometimes suggested slightly odd things but i thought <laughs> well i'll just do it anyway <laughs> and try and make it jazz somehow um so yeah they're, they're all still still on on my uh youtube channel if, if someone's got 24 hours of to spare, the
0: watford jazz junction podcast listener has little else to do with their life so they will next go straight to your youtube and spend 24 happy hours in your company with those performances in mind with writing an album and also you know playing alone etc what do you turn to not necessarily really for inspiration but for strength to keep going. What What's your driving id? Oh, that's a question.
1: I suppose it's probably more down to probably down to my wife and, oh. and family. I suppose in that respect. Without hope, that doesn't sound too. Uh, <laughs> oh god, too we love boring. it. That's beautiful.
0: Sense. It's not boring. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs>
1: well, I, I guess because you, you go through so many ups and downs, being. A musician, being an artist, and I've 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 actually wrote a blog post about this. I think I called it the Vanity Project, because <laughs> you know there's so many points you you have these moments where you think, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, and is any of it worth it? Is any does anybody care? Those kind of thoughts. Um, and similarly, you can get caught up in all sorts of weird. I don't know politics and things if you're not careful and it is really good my wife's not a musician she's she can you know she actually sings a bit and things but she's not in this world yeah and it's really good to talk to her about what's going on sometimes and kind of get uh, a a non-musician someone who's outside of it all and 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 family as well, like I say, because they they I haven't come from an incredibly musical family or anything like that. So sometimes their perspectives are really interesting on what's going on and how things how things work and all that. So yeah, I suppose it's family. Yeah, family and friends. It,
0: no, it's good. I think family are also your most honest critics. I know they're also the most supportive, but they don't mince around with saying "oh" or "oh okay. yeah." My, my family certainly don't.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. I'm going to give you a chance now to to relax the brain or maybe have to ramp it up because, my friend, it is time for my quiz. And it's a classical music and jazz piano playoff. Uh, And I'm going to make you select choices in what I am calling Paul Edith's six-question impossible choice challenge. All you have to do is choose an option. Are you ready? Hopefully. (laughs) Right. Question one. You have the chance to play Jelly Roll's stand-up piano from the local sporting house or... Chopin's Play El Grand Piano, which do you choose to play first?
1: Well, Chopin, because it's probably closer.
0: <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> right, we have to keep up the intensity. Question two. Okay. A Bach chorale or an Ellington Standard?
1: Ellington Standard.
0: Nice, jazz fans, we like this answer. Question three. It's 1983 and it's the Grammys. Do you clap loudest for Winton's consummate Hummel and Haydn trumpet performances or for his outstanding solos across his wonderful album, Think of One.
1: The solos on Think of One. Interesting. Oh my
0: gosh, your point collection here is going up very well. Right, question four, <laughs> halfway mark. Hurrah! You have been appointed artist in residence, but now you have to choose between the Sage Gateshead and London's Barbican. Which one would you choose and why?
1: I would choose the London Barbican because I have actually been appointed artist-in-residence at Sage Gateshead already, so it would seem a bit bit greedy to do it. Oh, I love the
0: (laughs) coincidental nature of my questions, or maybe I knew that. Right, question five. The Chicago Symphony Orchestra, or the Art Ensemble of Chicago...
1: (laughs) Oh, Chicago Symphony Orchestra...
0: Uh, OK, right, you're off the Art Enchamble of Chicago's Christmas card list. I'm just telling up, you're at 63. This is very good. Uh, your final question. It's a thinker. Abbey Road Studios are yours, but just for one day. And there is a Steinway centre stage. Do you fill the studio with 100 strings, 30 horns, 16 timpani drums, or do you carpet the place up, pop on some incense, and just roll out a double bass and drum kit? How will you spend your day at the studios?
1: It would seem a waste to not use the space. So I'd, I'd have all those musicians, but I'd also invite a drummer and bass player along and record like a um, a piano trio plus strings type album. he's
0: a big cheat. Question. So 63, you would have moved to 95. I'll have to take off 15 for the dodging the question and the choice. It gives you 80, which is an excellent score and of course puts you top of the Paul Edis quiz leaderboard. Happy with that. Now, my set question, Paul. How important to you as a composer... Are the contributions of those you play with, and I really want to know: Do you seek their voices to mold into your work, or do you seek their musicality to meld with your own?
1: Discuss. Okay. Well, um, I think that uh, there's a bit of nuance to this answer because there are certain scenarios where, because of the way, because mm. of the economics essentially of music, you don't have time with the musicians whoever they may be to actually explore things in a um, organic way and to, to to really explore their voice and everything else in which case you have to use more of a kind of almost 19th century you know factory model of i'm writing for a big band and lead trumpets can do this or i'm writing for this if you see what i mean because you, you can't go into say it, especially if it's a larger ensemble you can't um take up hours and hours of their time normally that, and there is normally hours and hours to rehearse and if you don't have things organized enough then then it all starts to look a bit shambolic and people get a bit frustrated because yeah, yeah, they've yeah. got to go and pick their kids up in half an hour and so on so th- there is an element of of pragmatism with this but then but then having said that so i suppose with larger ensembles that's that's always the risk um, or with things where, like I say, it's just got to be done in a hurry. So if 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 there isn't time, but with with smaller groups, um, yeah, you're really trying to get the the players that you like the sound of, that that you like what they do, and and you enjoy playing with them. And I and I think even if you don't intentionally initially, because if you don't know them that well, if you're not played with them that long, you don't necessarily know their voice. But gradually, as you play with them, you start to understand their voice. On, even on a subconscious level, you know that that player can do that thing and you just start to put it in the compositions naturally, I think. And and the, all of that means you do create something that they're going to be much happier playing as well because it's matching personalities and music um, together, I suppose.
0: When, when you're in those positions how much of let's just say you've got 24 hours just for a set period of time but it could be a month or whatever of 24 hours how would you use them if you had to come up with sort of one piece at the end of it would you spend half of it sort of just chatting and being or would you try and get playing as soon as you can and I mean how much time do you take out for reflection within a piece
1: there there is a middle way as well which I suppose is is kind of what I end up doing certain groups as well where you you have particularly working with drummers and and rhythm section players i guess rather than specific frontline you know um horn sections and things you can sort of have what you think you want but you can say to the players i'm happy for you to interpret this and i really want to hear what you do with it um and you can allow things to kind of develop as during the say it was 24 hours during that Mm. that time just to see where it goes because i think that is is underrated as a process because then you really start to figure out that often drummers will have a much better idea of what to do with the drum group even if i've given them a template you know they'll, they'll do something much more interesting than what i originally suggested but it's around what i suggested if i'd suggested nothing then there would be nothing for them to know what i'm yeah attempting. yeah yeah the, the reflection side yeah you Obviously, you're kind of listening in the moment and it's, it's as as you rehearse, as you go. But before I get to giving music to players, I'll have heard it in my own head to a certain extent, as well as just putting things into Sibelius, Sibelius playback, maybe using, you know, mocking things up with synthetic instruments occasionally. But then I'm I'm more than happy within rehearsals as well sometimes to turn around if there's time and say to the drummer or whoever, what do you think of that are you happy with that or any suggestions similarly with horn sections and string players you can say are you happy with that articulation or the bowing and 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 you want if you've got time you want players who are willing to give you suggestions as well rather than just people who go yes sir no sir (laughs) because that's that's not really a creative creative act then i suppose it's it's much more just almost like getting a machine to play what you want
0: well no wonder you have such successful collaborations because with that approach and mindset i guess who wouldn't want to play with you and and find their own their own space uh, and obviously also contribute to a to a greater product than any of us individually could deliver thank you very much yeah. good discussion yeah. Um, right. Um, i like to throw this upon you uh, with zero warning. It's top three album times, or even top three albums time. Which albums would you choose to go back to again and again? Imagine it's a Desert Island scenario, but you've only allowed three. Who would
1: you have on that? I think this is, this is obviously a very difficult question. Well, no, you
0: didn't come onto the Watford
1: Jazz Junction for an easy ride. <laughs> it's like paxman um <laughs> but i i think I, w- I would have to go for even though they're all you could argue stylistically uh era wise similar in a way but it might be something to do with the fact that these feel so formative to me i would i would go something like oscar peterson night train
0: oh we like it very much
1: because that album that is is one of those joyous swing straight ahead albums that i i just i learned so much from just listening to it over and over and over again when i when i first heard it and and still you know you listen to it again and look
0: at that it even makes the hair stand on my arm just thinking about <laughs> that album it's that good right so you've locked you've locked in
1: oscar okay you've got two spaces left no pressure i was going to say i, I was when i was sort of trying to think about this kind of thing possibly bill evans trio portrait in jazz but i've just changed my mind <sighs> Yeah. Um, even though that, even though loads of people often say Bill Evans, oh, there's such an influence on your playing and all that. No matter how much I try to uh, avoid that, sometimes. But no, actually, I think I'd go for because he, there's a lot of Bill Evans in it as well, and um, again, another formative album, um, kind of blue. There's just so much in that. And again, just for me, it was such a kind of moment of this is what jazz is. And the the third track, Blue and Green, that that opening from those few chords from Bill Evans is genuinely one of those moments I'll I'll never forget of just going, what is that sort of thing? Absolute classic. And then album number three. Number three, I thought I wanted something by Monk. Uh, So I'm going to go with solo Monk because there's just, it's just Monk on his own playing piano in, and interpreting standards as well as some of his own compositions in a way that just tells you everything about Monk. And I think a whole school of composition and, and everything else just from, from his mind is such, such an incredible thinker uh, as well as performer and composer, but his, his approach as an improviser, you know.
0: So this is good. So we've had
1: Oscar Peterson come up several times. We've had
0: surprisingly little Miles Davis and someone will probably call me out on it but I don't think we've had many Thelonious Monks either. Again, we've had chat about him, but no one's gone down the route and say I'm definitely taking it. So, you've done it. You've, your top three, or your top three, the albums you're taking with you are Oscar Peterson's Night Train, Miles Davis' Kind of Blue, and Thelonious Monk's Solo Monk. Marveloid. Right, there's just one job left for you to do. It's time to sort out our house band. Some say, well, you know I do anyway, that it's the most eclectic fantasy band in podcast show business. Here is the lineup, pool. We have got Carla Bley on the piano, Ed Thigpen on the drum kit, Eberhard Weber on the bass, Joe Tempoli on the bass saxophone and sometimes baritone, John Hassel on trumpet, and the very wonderful Norma Winston on vocals. So your task is to remove one mu- musician, if you think they need a rest, but also bring in a new player. And it can obviously be from any point in jazz history. Who should you like to add? and why let's
1: think that's quite an interesting (laughs) line we've had crazier i'd be interested to give ed Thigpen a rest not because he's not because he's you know i think he's incredible drummer i was just i was just thinking he could really open up some some different things if you were to bring in someone like uh how about paul motion steps oh he's never Uh, been in the band okay this is exciting i'm gonna hold you there
0: so, just for the record, uh, Paul Edis has fired Ed Higpen <laughs> um, unceremoniously. No, 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 I only just...
1: I thought, I thought he needed a rest. He's gone off to have a sandwich.
0: And we've got the delights of Paul motion. I mean, this is wonderful. Thank you very much. So, thank you for being with us today, Paul. The final thing to ask you is what shows have you got coming up before Christmas? Where can you point us to to go and listen? to you live or online or wherever?
1: Uh, my next engagement, as I say, is um, I'm doing uh i'm up at the sage actually on october the 16th with a band Ooh. um I've, I've been doing things with for years called triptych jazz not jazz we sometimes call it um <laughs> <laughs> but that's fun and that's with uh v- visuals by lisa Delani. um he's sort of projecting these amazing artworks as we go oh wow um, we're also doing um a, a layburn jazz festival the following week on the 23rd of october um, I mean, in London, I'm at the um, 606 Club with uh, my trio on the 18th of October. That's with Joel Barford and Adam King. Nice.
0: And will you be cropping up at the EFG London Jazz Festival in November?
1: Yes. Same same lineup actually, on the Sunday the 14th, I believe it is. Oh, early in, early in the festival. Yeah. Um, I'm also playing with Joe Harrop the night before, if you really want to come and, and live in Hampstead for a couple of days. <laughs> There's loads going oh, well, let's on at Hampstead it. Jazz Club. Um, oh it's a great place
0: yeah we've got joe coming up funny enough in a a couple of episodes so nice segue uh well thanks very much we shall look forward to catching you at at least one of those if you have liked what you've listened to do not forget to subscribe and if you want to know more about what for jazz junction as i say just check out our website at whatforjazzjunction.com or follow us on our various social media Or even email us at jazzwalfordlive at gmail.com, but only to say very nice things and to charm the host. Now, next time, we are in conversation with a larger-than-life jazz musician with very talented Mr Ray Gelato. Uh, But until then, it's goodbye, lovely listener. It's goodbye the fantastic Paul Edis. Thank you very much. Goodbye. (laughs) And stay safe, and always remember to connect with something new. Bye.